last week, Steve was talking about, well, he gave an introduction on the uh, U-Alls, which are the uh, letters that stand for the things that we believe about Jesus. And I see there's a lot of new faces here, so you didn't get a chance to hear that introduction. Uh, this church has kind of developed a, uh, a program of what we believe about Jesus, and there's really, uh, we, we came up with eight things, there may be more, but we came up with eight things that we, that we hardcore believe about Jesus Christ. And over the next few months, we'll have eight different people bringing a message. So you'll have eight different people bringing eight different uh, things we believe about Jesus. And the first thing that uh, I could be first, it'll be uh, Jesus is unique, because we do believe that Jesus is unique. Well, to begin with, I want to say, and, and a lot of people know, that I collect comic books. <laughs> Good, we got that out of the way. Get that out of the way. I collect comic books, and I've done so since I was 10 years old. And it all started on a, uh, a camping trip with my next-door neighbors. I went with their family. We went to Lake Berryessa for a week. And this was in 1970. And my mother gave me $10 to spend for the week. She gave it to me for snacks and food and whatever I wanted to purchase. And in 1970, $10 went a long way. Well, that first day at the lake, my friend and I walked up to the general store. And... Uh, in the general store, they had this rack, this old-style spinning rack of old magazines. Well, it was jam-packed with comic books. I mean, not just the current month's comic books, but three or four months' worth in each rack. It was just stuffed, and as a kid, I was like, what? And uh, I spent all my $10 that first day. <laughs> comic books were only 20 cents back then, so I got about 50 comic books. I got a stack. I was so excited. And I still have those comics today. As a matter of fact, here's two of them. Wow. Superman and, and Detective Comics, Batman. Uh, I wanted to say that, uh, that recently, Action Comics number one, and their mint condition, was, uh, was calculated to be worth $3.4 million. You know who starred in Action Comics number one? Superman, right? And uh, Detective Comics number 27 was uh, praised at $3.3 million in mint condition. No, I don't have those two comics. <laughs> and you know who stars in Detective Comics number 27? First appearance is Batman, that's right. And uh, the uh, interesting thing is, and the unique thing is, you know, these comics were appraised so high because they're, because they're so rare and unique. Matter of fact, they're more than unique. Those two comics are so unique that they don't even exist. They were appraised just in case anyone ever happened to find one that was in mint condition. So there'll be some little kid going up to his grandpa's attic and opening a box and going, Hey, Action Comics number one, can I have this grandpa? No. So things in our society are, uh, are given great value when they're unique or rare or one of a kind. I think that uh, when you think about musicians, performers, actors, you know, they, they're the ones that draw the high ticket value if you want to go see them because there's such a, a high demand and so, so little uh, uh, supply. And uh, when you think about other things like the Mona Lisa or the uh, or Whistler's Mother or Starry Night or any of those famous paintings. You know, there's seven billion people on this planet and only one Mona Lisa. So there's a huge demand and only one for a supply. 
Well, the Mona Lisa is not for sale. It's, it's locked up in the Louvre and protected quite well. But uh, it was appraised in 2009 for $700 million for a piece of canvas and half a pound of paint. $700 million. You can buy a country for $700 million. <laughs> well, today, like I said, we're talking about the uniqueness of Jesus. And I've got my magic whiteboard. I didn't, I didn't want to use an overhead projector or a uh, PowerPoint like Steve wanted me to because this is more of a brainstorming. This week, I want to present 11 uniquenesses of Jesus. There's lots more. The Lord gave me plenty more than 11, but because of time and constraints, we'll keep it down to 11. But next week, the plan is to, to revisit this issue or this uh, characteristic of Jesus and his uniqueness. And it's an opportunity for the congregation with an open worship time to come forward, not come forward, but to speak up about what you think and what the Lord's put on your heart about the uniqueness of Jesus. So, let's get right in there. Number one, Jesus is the one and only Son of God. So I'm going to write only Son of God. And we have a Bible verse that, uh, that backs that up. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in uh, John 3.16, it's a verse you all know, and you can probably say it along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. His only son, God's only son, he gave up for us. And what do we believe? How do we act? How does that affect our relationship with God and with each other? Because we believe that God, that Jesus is God's only son. Well, if Jesus is God's only son, then he has God's authority. God gives Jesus the authority over all things. And so when Jesus tells us to do something, we do it. If someone has authority over you, you do it. When your boss tells you to do something, you do it. Number two, Jesus is the one and only person who was worthy to open the scroll of judgment. And we see that in Revelation. Revelation 5, 1 through 10. I'm going to read that. I'm going to turn to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. Hello, glasses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. 
He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Well, because, because, um, because Jesus is the only one able to open the scroll of judgment, we don't judge. We leave the judging to the wisdom of God. Now, I should stop here and say, when I say we don't judge, I know that we still have fleshly bodies, we still sin. I know I judge. The idea is to focus on Jesus, to become more like Jesus. When I say we don't judge, that's what we should be doing. We should not be judging. So... God is transforming us to be more like Jesus every day. Worthy to open scroll. Testing. Number three, Jesus is the only sinless man. Only sinless man. First Corinthians 5, 21 says, and this is a song we like to sing, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's me and my sin tally, and that's Jesus. <laughs> so what does it mean that we believe that Jesus is the only sinless man? What's that to us? You know, the question we need to be asking as we look at these uniquenesses is, so what? So what? What if Jesus is unique? Why is that important to me? How can I put that into my practical life? Well, it is important to look at all eight of the uh, characteristics of Jesus that we'll be looking at over the next few months. Because these are the characteristics that we put into practice. These are the ways we treat one another. This is a, has to do with our relationship with God and how we treat him. So, because Jesus is a sinless man, the only sinless man, well, the first thing we need to do is to thank him for, the, for his gift that we can never repay, of him going to the cross for us and taking on our burden. And then we look to Jesus as our role model. As Steve mentioned last week, he's the prototype. He's the... Uh, target. He's the one we want to model ourselves after. And as Quakers, one of the things that we put into practice, that Steve also mentioned last week, is that we recognize that Jesus never lied, never told a lie. So we don't lie. And in case of, and in case of going to court, and when, I tell, when they say to you, you promise to swear, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. As Quakers, we think, well, that's saying, are you going to stop lying? for this few moments while we talk to you. And we want a testimony before, the God, before our God saying, we don't lie. So instead of, so instead of swearing that we, don't, that we will tell the truth, we affirm that yes, we tell the truth. 
You know, you can say, well, you're splitting hairs. But we want to do everything we can to honor God, to be like Jesus. And if Jesus didn't lie, then we don't lie. Number four. As part of the Trinity, Jesus is the one and only creator of the universe. Let's look at John 1, 2, 3. Again, these are very, very uh, famous verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Let me read that again by putting Jesus in there instead of he and him. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus all things were made. Without Jesus nothing was made that has been made. Well, because Jesus is part of the Godhead and created everything, we can go directly to the manufacturer. If your, car, if your new car breaks down, you take it to the dealer, get it fixed. When we break down, we can go right to the manufacturer. We don't have to go to someone else for help. We can go right to the manufacturer who knows us. He made us. If we need help emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, who better to go to than the one that created you? He's the creator. Number five. Jesus is the one and only person to hold the keys to life and death and heaven and hell. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive. Forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Well, because Jesus holds the keys of death and life, we rely on no other God, we rely on no other man for our salvation. And that's our salvation, our initial salvation when we go from unbelieving to believing, and our salvation, that is our daily salvation, our daily transformation, we rely on Jesus and only Jesus. Uh, one of the things as, as Quakers, and I think as Christians in general, we, we hold uh, because we believe that Jesus holds the keys of life and death, is, is that we don't kill. We don't take life. We leave that to God and the wisdom of God to take life and to give life. One of the things that, is, that I think is essentially Quaker that I haven't heard anywhere else is that uh, we believe that God has placed a spark or a, a light in each man and woman when they're born, that, and it's this spark that recognizes God. So when uh, God calls there's something inside us that can respond. And because we believe that there's this spark or this light inside us, we don't ever want to prematurely end someone's life as long as that spark is there. As long as that spark is there, there's still an opportunity to, to come to God, to know Jesus. Keys of life and death. Number six, Jesus is the only one through his own power raised himself from the dead. Now, he raised others from the dead, and I believe the disciples might have raised others from the dead, 
but Jesus, with his own power, raised himself from the dead. <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you raise yourself from the dead? He had power, more power than we can even understand. And, it's because, and let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 14. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. So because we believe that Jesus raised himself from the dead, we know that he has the power to raise us from the dead. We have a, a great hope in the future. We know that Jesus is going to raise us and take us with him. And also, and also because we know that Jesus rose from the dead and will be taking us as well, we have no reason to fear death. I mean, this world fears death big time. So much of what we see in the world is, is a response to fearing death. But as Christians, we have no reason to fear death because it's just the next step in a great adventure that God has for us. He raised himself. Number seven, Jesus is unique because he humbled himself from a very high, lofty place down to a very low, humble place. When you think about it, he was, he's God. He was there at the beginning. He's the creator. And he chose to go from that high place down to being born in a manger in a dirty old nasty stable. That's amazing. And uh, I want to uh, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Which I want to read. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself from the lowest to the lowest of places. And because we know that Jesus went from a high place to a low place and he was willing to do that, our reaction should be as Christians that we humble ourselves, that we live simple lives. I think we're called to live simple lives. I think we're called to live lives that are simple in our appearance, that are simple in our speech, in our manner of speech, and in our, in our material possessions. We should look at ourselves very carefully and make sure that uh, we are living simple lives because Jesus was our role model in that, in lowering himself to being born in a stable and having no possessions whatsoever. And because we know that Jesus humbled himself, we don't seek glory and honor for ourselves. We want to make sure that God gets all the glory and all the honor. He humbled himself.
Number eight. Jesus is the one true leader and head of the church. There is no other. We have one head. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 speaks to this, and it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Again, I think this should be read with Jesus' name plugged in there, so let's read it again. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of Jesus, who fills everything in every way. Well, because Jesus is our head, our spiritual leader, we don't elevate individuals in our church to high, lofty positions. We recognize that we're all equal. We're all servants of God. We're all ministers. We also recognize that everyone has a responsibility to participate. Nobody sits on the sidelines. There's work for everybody. No leaders, no followers. We're all equal. And, and, that is, uh, and that's why we consider ourselves a congregationally-led church. Because we believe that discernments and uh, decisions should come from the body, not from an elevated uh, leader. And that is why Quaker pastors are, are to be fellow servants in Christ. Not elevated leaders or sole decision makers, but just one of the body. Head of the church. Number nine. Jesus is unique in that he is inside each one of us simultaneously. He's omnipresent. Try and figure that one out. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17, two verses. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Because the spirit of Jesus is inside of us, how should we act? Well, we trust one another. If Jesus is in you and Jesus is in me, we can trust one another. We listen to each other. We counsel each other. <clears throat> and that's why, as Quakers, we strongly believe that women and men are equal. The same Jesus is in a woman is the same Jesus is in a man. The same Jesus who has wisdom and understanding and discernment are in women as the same as in men. And that's also why as Quakers we don't vote in our business meetings. It would seem strange to have 51% of the people who have Jesus in them voting one way and 49% of the people who have Jesus in them voting in the other way. And then you have winners with Jesus and you have losers with Jesus. That doesn't seem right. So as Quakers, we, have, we try to come to a consensus. If you have that kind of opposing position, then let's spend more time. More needs to be said. Let's work this out. Let the Jesus in each of us work this out. Because they're not in disagreement. <laughs> the Jesus in each of us are in total agreement. So let's write a big word. He's omnipresent. That's unique. I don't know anyone else who can do that. Number 10. 
Jesus is the only one to love his enemies. In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He was in the process of being crucified, in the middle of being crucified, and he was forgiving his enemies. Now, when I try to think what I, how I would react, if I was in the middle of a crucifixion, I would not be thinking of forgiving my enemies. I'd be saying, ow, 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 ow. I'd be whining and complaining and promising the world, just get me down from here. Jesus was forgiving his enemies during that horrible time. And as Christians, because Jesus loves his enemies, we love our enemies. We don't kill them. We don't wait passively, passively by while they fall and then rejoice in their failures. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. Because that's what Jesus would do. loves his enemies. Number 11. Jesus is the only one to speak so radically against the world's way. You guys know your Bible and you know what, what some of Jesus' words, you know how radical his words were. Let's look at a few of them. In John chapter 6, Verse 47 through 59. John chapter 6, 47 through 59. These are Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. How is that for radical? You had a guest speaker come up here, like me, and said, folks, I need you to come up here and start eating. Your reaction would not be, okay. It'd be saying, this guy's crazy, let's get out of here. And, and several people did leave him because of those teachings. Jesus' teachings, and that's not the most craziest sounding thing that Jesus said. He had lots of things that people went, what? And it's only when we have the Spirit of God in us that we can understand that these, what these meanings, these spiritual truths mean. Well, because Jesus spoke radically and was radical, we can be pretty sure that the, if we're following him, we're going to look pretty radical to the church, or to the world, I'm sorry. We're going to look pretty radical to the world if we're following Jesus. 
If we say the things that Jesus said, we're going to be radical. And if we do the things Jesus did, we're going to be radical. Because Jesus and the world seem to be quite opposed. Jesus was radical. So there you have 11 uniquenesses of Jesus. And like I said, there's, there's lots more. And I wanted to leave some of them for you guys to uh, contemplate this week. I'd ask that you uh, spend time this week in meditation on how Jesus is unique. Understand that over the next two or three months, this is the pattern it's going to be. A speaker will speak one week, and then the following week will be a uh, time of uh, open worship to share what uh, the Lord's put on your heart in this, on this topic. So, uh, so I'd like to keep this whiteboard available and then next week just add to the list and see what uh, we can come up with. You know, I, I could have put this on overhead, but I, I, want it to, uh, I want it to be kind of a brainstorming. I want it to be uh, a chance for you guys to increase the list and, because I'm sure this list goes on and on because Jesus is so unique. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer then at least for this section of the service. Father, we want to praise you for your uniqueness, for the uniqueness of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are different. It, it's going to take a lifetime to continue to examine you and to look at you and to study you. You are an amazing God. I remember the story of the elephant and the uh, blind men trying to describe the elephant and everyone had a different view of what an elephant looked like because they were all touching different sections. And that's kind of how we are with you, Lord. We, we all have a different aspect of, of what you're like. You touch each of us. And wherever we are in our walk with you, you touch us each differently. And when we come together, Lord, we can describe you. We can put together this picture of a wonderful, wonderful God. And I'm looking forward, Lord, to the next uh, few months as we, as we really focus on our basics, who Jesus is and what we believe about you, Lord. We'd ask for your guidance, Father. We'd ask that you would uh, open our hearts and minds and, and, and just bring us along, Lord. Some of the things that we're going to be talking about, Lord, are, are going to be new ideas to people. I'd ask, Lord, that you would, again, open our hearts and minds to discernment and truth and we just come before you Lord and just thank you thank you for your wonderful gifts thank you for a beautiful God and in Jesus name we pray amen